Devora Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Gratitude, because I think that gratitude builds our bitachon, and also gratitude, of course, is the cornerstone, is the foundation stone of Judaism. We're called Yehudim. We're called Jews based on the name Yehuda, which means to thank. And thanking is a form of confession, a form of admitting that we could not be here, we would not be alive, we would not have all that we do have without the benevolence and mercy and kindness of Hashem. And it's important to be grateful and to connect that gratitude that we have all the way back to its source, which is Hashem, and not to short circuit it. You know, there are a lot of grateful people and gratitude, of course, is a big buzzword today. Uh, and, you know, everybody's using it to gain more happiness, etc. But if we don't take it all the way back to the source of where everything comes from, you know, it's, it's a bit of a short circuit. It doesn't really reach its goal. So let me just quickly uh, read this prayer to you. It's something that I like to say. I used to have a whole bunch of them. I was giving them out in my classes. Maybe I can get more and pop them in my mailbox and you can come and pick them up. But I like to say this before Shabbos and sometimes you have time during the day. So it goes like this. Thank you, Hashem, King of Kings and Master of the World. Thank you for the infinite times that you helped me, supported me, rescued me, encouraged me, cured me, guarded over me, and made me happy. Thank you for always being with me. Thank you for giving me the strength to observe your mitzvot, to do good deeds and pray. Thank you for all the times you helped me and I didn't know how to say thank you. Thank you for all the loving kindnesses you do for me each and every moment. Thank you for every breath I breathe. Thank you, Hashem, for all the things that I do have. And thank you, Hashem, even for the things that I don't have. Thank you for my periodic difficulties, my occasional setbacks, and for the times when I don't feel happy because everything is for my ultimate benefit, even if I don't see that it's always for my best. Deep in my heart, I know that everything that comes from you is the very best for me and designed especially for me in precision and exacting divine providence of which only the King of Kings is capable. Thank you for the periodic times that are difficult for me, for only that way they enable me to fully appreciate the good times. For only after being in darkness, as Davin HaMelech said, one can appreciate the light. Thank you for the wonderful life you've given me and every little thing that I have, for everything comes from you and from no one else. Thank you for always listening to my prayers. Creator of the world, I apologize from the bottom of my heart for all the times that I didn't appreciate what you gave me. And instead of thanking you, I only complain. I am dust and ashes, and you are the entire universe. Please don't ever cast me away. Okay, so just um, heading into our next topic. First of all, this class was sponsored by Sarl Nussbaum. as a Rafua Shalema for Rachel Bat 
Fromit Gital. She should have a Rafua Shalema. And all of those who are suffering in some way or another from this, uh, in general or specifically from the virus, we should be over this soon, God willing, and uh, greet a better world. Amen. And a better world. Yeah. So our new our new um, topic that we're all going to be working on, though none of us need to, of course, is the topic of anger. And I know it sounds a little bit negative. We don't need negativity at this time in our lives. But any type of um, character work development, of course, uh, requires that we pay attention to one of, you know, uh, one of the... The traits of the human condition, which surely is anger. And, uh, you know, just quickly, we've finished the uh, book of Bereshis and the book of Bereshis is full of the human story and the human condition of anger, which rears its ugly head right from the very beginning of the Chumash, right? We have Cain and Havel, the two brothers. Of course, Cain kills his brother Havel. Well, we have to assume he was a little bit angry when he did that. Uh, and then we have, of course, uh, the famous Yaakov and Esav story, where after 22 years, uh, Yaakov is still afraid that his brother Esav is coming to kill him. He's made this um, uh, promise that he will, you know, get him yet. And, um, and so we have that story. And then, of course, we just finished the Chumash with the story of Yosef and his brothers, another story where there was a lot of enmity hatred, anger, um, where we know that after Yaakov dies, the brothers start to worry again and say, you know what, maybe Yosef was uh, leaving us alone while dad was alive. But now that he's dead, we're really worried that he's going to take revenge on us and that that anger has not really abated. And sure enough, Yosef has to reassure them that, you know, you don't have to worry that, um, you know, back to the idea of Bitachon, basically, he says, you know, it's not you who did this. I mean, yes, you did certain actions that were not very nice. But on the other hand, God has his plans and God wanted these events to happen so that I would come down to Egypt and I would be here. And of course, this sets the whole stage for the next Chumash that we're going into, where the Jewish people are about now to go down into Egypt and fulfill that prophecy that was given to Abraham hundreds of years before saying that your children will be slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt in a foreign land. So, you know, we're going to move on now and we're going to talk about anger. We're going to talk about anger as a negative trait, but there actually are times when it can be good. I just want to quote to, uh, to you from the Mishnah Torah where the Rambam writes all about ethical and moral conduct. And there's a lot here that, you know, I don't want to read because I know reading is pretty boring. But let me just, um, basically the Rambam talks about the idea that people have many types of personality traits. And the character traits vary greatly from one extreme to the other. The touchy person is always angry. While at the opposite end of the extreme, the cool-headed, serene person never gets upset. Even when provoked, he's only mildly irritated. And this only occurs once in several years. So he's just saying that, you know, we have extremes in every character trait. 
And, you know, he goes on with all the different character traits. The haughty person contrasts with the timid fellow. The pleasure seeker's appetite is never satisfied. While the pure hearted man does not even desire even the minimum necessities to sustain his body. The greedy man's never satisfied with all the money in the world. Um, and the lazy person, of course, is content with very little, even if it doesn't fulfill his most basic requirements. So he's so lethargic, he doesn't even bother to get what he needs. So he goes on and on between these different types of character traits. And of course, he talks about what we've talked about, that they are inborn, that people are born with certain character traits. Um, we also learn them from our environment and adopt them on our own initiative or embrace them because someone told us they were worthwhile. And we may even have character traits that we trained ourselves in and they became second nature to us. But the Rumbum is famous for explaining that um, to go to an extreme in any character trait is improper. And what a person wants to do with self-development is come to the middle road, come to the place of balance between the two extremes of what this trait could be. So, um, so the correct way lies exactly midway between two extremes. And the early sages urged a person to constantly assess and weigh his character traits, aiming for the happy medium in order to become a perfect human being. Again, to illustrate, a person should be neither short-tempered nor unfeeling like a corpse. Following the middle road, he should become angry only over serious matters. The example he gives is Hillel Hashem, desecration of God's name, when he sees a Jew or somebody doing something that basically you know, gives God a bad name in the world. Um, that's what should make him angry. So, and only so that the objectionable incident doesn't happen again. Okay, I'm going to leave this now. Um, actually, one more idea. Whoever ke keeps his character traits evenly balanced by following the middle course is called a wise man. And if you want to change a character trait, you have to often go to the opposite extreme in order to come back to the middle. So, so for example, um, if a person wanted to avoid arrogance, he would turn to the other extreme, becoming deeply humble to the point of complete self-effacement. And then he would come back to the middle path where, you know, by going to the opposite extreme, you're able to find that middle path. Okay, so when we talk about anger today, really want to talk about it in terms of women, because women have our, we have our own uh, set of uh, traits that are specific, not only to our femininity, but to the role that many of us have in our lives, which is running a home, um, dealing with other people a lot. And so, again, this class is based on the work of Revit Sandina Schoonmaker. And she basically tells us that, um, you know, women's lives are very overloaded, right? We're the multitaskers. We can do five things at the same time, right? 
And because of this overload, we have a tendency to lose our patience and to get angry. And she basically says that, um, you know, a lot of the reason that we, all of us, no matter how our, we're, we're wired in terms of our home air, is because we often find ourselves taking care of a lot of people's lives, having a lot of people around us with all different types of ages, and having to deal with other people's personalities. So um, often we wish we could have held it together, but because of the overload, we lose it. And it makes us feel very, very bad about ourselves. And she said that there's a psychological term called ego dystonic, which I actually looked up, which basically is this feeling of, you know, that's not really me. What just happened there? That is not me. You know, that's somebody else. And I don't know who that was that just reacted that way. Don't we call that denial? No, it's a, it's a, it's a actually a, no, it's not denial. It's more like you're so, sort of shocked at the way you just behaved. Denial is when you completely, you know, don't even um, acknowledge it. Okay. The idea here is that we acknowledge that we just went totally ballistic and we're totally out of character and it disturbs us because it flies in the face of the sense of who we are, right? I'm a nice person. I'm a patient person. I don't act this way with other people. What just happened? It's kind of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde moment, right? It's like, whoa, who was that, right? So they call that ego dystonic, where the, your sense of yourself and what just happened don't jive with each other. And the point is, is the fact that we feel this way whenever we get angered means that we don't like it. And yet, as we said at the very beginning of the class, it is a part of the human experience. So what we want to do in this bud is to try to proactively work on this. Now, there are certain mido, certain character traits that have opposites. So what's the opposite of anger? So if you're like me, I would have thought the opposite of anger is, starts with a P, patience, right? And yet it's interesting that the uh, rabbis tell us that the opposite of anger is kindness. Chesed. Okay. And the reason, and it makes a lot of sense when you think about it in this way, the reason being that chesed is something that builds. When you do kindness in the world, right? We, we say, olam chesed yibana, that Hashem built the world with kindness. So when you are performing acts of chesed, giving, doing for others, you are building something. You're building relationships. You're building the world. You're imitating God in his finest form. However, ka'as is synonymous with destruction, right? Ka'as is always associated with fire, hot-tempered. Whoa, losing your cool, <laughs> right? There was a famous song by Joni Mitchell. I was a big Joni Mitchell follower in the old days, but she had this song. Actually, it wasn't so famous because it was later on when she was in her jazz period. But I just remembered it. She had a song um, 
stay cool, 50-50 fire and ice. So it was kind of like that idea of being in the middle between the fire and the ice, finding that balance, you know, not too hot, not too cold, just keep it right. And that's the cool spot. Anyway, so the opposite of ka'as is, is the opposite of, of ka'as is chesed, because as we said, ka'as is a destructive force. What we're doing when we're angry is we created something. Let's think of, you know, relationships with people around us. And then all of a sudden with my anger, I destroyed it. So, you know, I'm building, building, building. And in one burst of anger, and that's how we feel after we've done this. Oh, my goodness. What did I do? I just ruined everything. If I'd only held myself in, if I'd only restrained myself. So this idea of being uh, that I destroyed it through my anger and my frustration. So anger tends to destroy or break what I built. It destroys, for example, my self-control. Wow. I thought I was somebody who had it all together. What a surprise. Again, that idea of ego dystonic. It destroys relationships, maybe a relationship with a child, with a spouse, with a friend, with a coworker. So anger works against what we are building. I love this uh, example that Dina gives, and I talk about it in my Hakpada class, which is internalized anger and resentment. But here we're talking about externalized anger, right? When we totally let it out. And it's very interesting because in this example, she they say that, you know, not the opposite, but the way, one of the ways you need to correct anger is with patience, right? Being patient, tolerating. The same word for patience in Hebrew, sablanut, is the same word for tolerance, which is soblanut, right? Just change the, put above in there. And interestingly, the word for a, and the word for pain is sevel, okay? And interestingly, the word for a porter, somebody who carries your bags at the, air, at the hotel, or, you know, somebody who carries things is a saval, all from the same shorish, samach, veit, lamed, right? So the rabbis paint a picture of a saval, a porter, who's carrying a piece of heavy furniture, let's say, on his back, and he's schlepping it up the stairs to get it to your apartment building. I picture this in Israel because you would see sometimes these Arabs carrying stuff, you know, with a rope wrapped around their head and a big, huge piece of heavy furniture going up these tiny little narrow stairways to take it up. Anyway, all of a sudden, the Saval decides that this piece of furniture is way too heavy and he just flips it off his back. And of course, it goes boom, 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 you know, down the stairs, bangs to the bottom of the, the, the stairway and smashes into a million pieces. And this is a incredibly powerful image of what externalized anger is. Because basically, why did the porter do this? The porter said, I can't take it anymore. This is too heavy. I don't want to carry this. Whoa. And what Dina Schoonmaker explains is that when we, we are, we carry other people, we carry relationship building 
is often carrying another person, even when we don't want to, or we don't feel like it. Or sometimes people around us feel very heavy. And it's at that point that we say, I can't do this anymore. I can't tolerate this. I don't have any more patience. This is too painful. So like the Saval, we flip it off and it goes crashing to the floor. And, you know, it's only afterwards, perhaps, that we go, whoops, right? So this is a, a, a wonderful image of the destructiveness of anger. Now, we're not dealing as far as I know, because I haven't uh, researched all of this yet. But my Hakpada series deals with, and it's on my podcast if you want to listen to it, it deals more with the internalized type of anger that is toxic, that stays inside, that in some ways is much worse than getting it out, okay? Because often the person themselves doesn't even know they're angry or they pretend they aren't. That's more about denial for Rhonda who mentioned denial, right? Not being in tune with yourself. But everyone else around you around you knows there's something wrong. Um, and that kind of anger is even more poisonous and toxic often for many, many reasons. But, you know, perhaps we'll do Hakpada together. But in the meantime, it's on the podcast if you want to start at number one and learn about that kind of anger. Or maybe it is going to come up in this. I don't know. Okay, so the point is this. We have to be sympathetic to ourselves. We have to recognize that often when we respond, sometimes it's because of overload. It's because we've taken on too much, right? Or the person's become too much. And so we just let it go. And again, as women, we have a lot of overload in our lives. So the overload sometimes comes together with so many responsibilities and so much that's on our plate. So the important point here, again, for self-care is beginning with chesed with yourself. And the chesed to yourself is not to beat yourself up. It happened. You lost it. It wasn't great. It wasn't your best self. But you know what? It happens. It happens to everyone. Now we're going to talk about the differences between people um, in just a minute. So we want to use softer emotions as a key to overcoming anger. There's a Gemara in Brachas, Daf Zion, where actually it's about Hashem speaking to himself. And Hashem is giving himself a blessing. And he's saying, please let my compassion overcome my mida of anger. And my rach, sorry, Overcome my midot and my rachamim, right? Which is another word. And my rachamim should conquer my anger. And I should be able to treat them beyond the measure of din, right? So we all know that din is judgment. It's strict justice. It's those little things in our day that don't go right, that don't go well, right? I missed I missed the bank. I, I got to the bank late. It closed two seconds before I got there. I missed the light. I, you know, I tripped on the stairs. I stubbed my toe. 
I pulled out the wrong change, the Gemara says. I put on my shirt backwards and now I have to take it off and put it back on the right way. All these little and big things, meaning, you know, illness, God forbid, and tragedies on the other extreme, these are all considered din. They are corrective. They come out of love from the ultimate one who knows what we need, what soul correction we need. And we've said in other classes that when we accept the small din, right, when we say when things don't go right, and I really, this is one thing I have to say, I have not, you know, I, I'm a good talker, but in terms of doing the things that I've been teaching, you know, as Ravi Sorosalanter said, it's great to inspire the others, but if you can inspire yourself and change one thing, that's even greater. So the one thing that I have found that I learned from myself is I love this idea that when little things happen that really are not huge, but they're still annoying, that I say, Hashem Hu HaMelech, Hashem, you are the king, you're running the world, you're running my day, right? I just tripped over that thing that I didn't see, and I went, whoa! And if I can say, Hashem Hu HaMelech, and flex that muscle, when I'm out of control in the small things, then God willing, I'll get better and better at it. And hopefully Hashem won't need to bring me the big things. But aside from that, Hashem himself is saying this prayer to himself saying, I don't want to have to give them din. I don't want to be exercising my power from a place of judgment and justice. Because we say in Judaism, an even greater way to exercise power, even though you can punish and you can destroy, is to restrain yourself, right? Use the mida of gavura, of restraint, of strength, inner strength, and instead shower the person with compassion, right? You want to give them a punch. You want to, but you're able to restrain yourself. And God himself says, help me to do this, right? Help me not to react with did, with my desire to just set things straight but rather to go beyond the measure of din. And that's what we want to imitate. And that's what we're doing when we're able to have some kind of a softer response than our outburst of anger. So this is, this is the beautiful idea. My anger is sitting inside me, but much more real and potent and deeper inside me is my love and compassion. Anger feels so powerful. But what we have to understand and what God is teaching us in this Gemara is that love and compassion is even more powerful. Now, very often we're angry at the people we love the most, right? If you uh, remember the Hakpada class, we said that there's three circles of people in our lives, circle one, circle two, and circle three. And they're concentric circles, one around the other. The first circle is the, is the middle circle. And those are the people closest to you, your family members, right? Uh, your children. These are the people you don't choose. Now, your spouse is in there, too, because you think you chose him, 
<laughs> but according to the Imago theory and, and according to Judaism, you didn't really choose him, right? Uh, you, he's there because God chose him for you, right? We say that uh, God makes matches, right? Before the world was created, he says, this one's going to marry that one. But also we choose that person who's going to give us the greatest homework, as Adrian Gold likes to say, the one who makes us have to develop ourselves or develop our patience or develop something because that's the only way to get through it. And so the point is, is circle one people make us the most angry and upset because they're the ones that are around us most often. They're in our inner circle. They're the people we love. And they're the people we didn't choose. God chose them for us, for us to be able to grow. Circle two, just for your information, are the people that we choose. They're our friends. They're the people we want to go for coffee with or a walk with if we have some extra time. Why? Because we like them. We chose them. They make us feel good. They bring out the best in us. They don't make us angry unless, you know, something happened that there's a good reason for it and we drop them. But we can drop them if we want, right? And of course, the third circle are the people who just come in and out of our lives every day, the strangers, the people on the street, the person who took your parking spot, right? The mailman, the lady in front of you at uh, at Metro who's taking forever to get her purse out and pay and, and talking to the clerk and you're in a rush, <laughs> you're going insane, you know? So these are the places where our anger comes out. And of course, we're going to talk about you know, uh, intensity, frequency, and duration of anger, which very much determines what kind of a person we are in terms of, you know, our home air, how we're wired in terms of this meat of anger. So, so with the people in our close proximity, we have to try and access that place of love and compassion. And even with people we don't love so much, we can access compassion and try to see them in a softer light. The end of this Gemara where Hashem is, is saying to himself, you know, I, I want to be able that my Rachamim overcomes my din, overcomes my judgment. The end of the Gemara is saying, even if they don't deserve it, right? Even if based on strict judgment, din is really what's required. I still want to treat them with rachami. Why is that? Very selfish. Because I don't want to be an angry person. I don't want to have those episodes that always make me feel regretful, sorry, egodystonic. Who was that person? Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. So ultimately, it's for my own benefit. I don't want to feel this way. So I want to access this place of love and compassion so that I can be in sync with how I see myself, what I'm trying to get to, what, who I want to be, right? And very often when we talk about hakada, you know, being angered and insulted and I, I, I never forgive them, I'm never going to forget this, I'll never be their friend again. You know, very often we're stuck in a place of being right. And just a beautiful phrase that I picked up perhaps from Dina's classes is, you know, it's not about being right, but it's about being righteous. 
And uh, it's just a good way to remember where we want to head and what character development is all about. You know, in Judaism, we say that shalom is more important than emet. That if there's a fight between shalom and truth, God says, go for the shalom. Now, of course, there are parameters around this. We don't stop. We don't, uh, we don't not keep the Torah because we want to make shalom. For example, in the Ten Commandments, we have a mitzvah to keep Shabbat. And the example that they give is if your parents tell you, no, I don't want you to keep Shabbat. So there's an example where, sorry, mom, sorry, dad, but I, I have to listen to God. I mean, I respect you. I love you. But here's a place where I have to do what's right. But there are other places, many other places where God says, you know what? And God himself will say, you know, for shalom, I'll let the truth slip to the side. So this is one of the ideas, too, to, just to keep in mind, okay? Now, sometimes we have to act angry, right? We have to act angry in order to discipline. There was a famous, uh, whatever, one of our great sages or rabbis, when he would get angry, he would say to himself right away, external anger only, external anger only. In other words, sometimes we have to use a, you know, frowning face, an angry face. We have to appear angry in order to be able to teach something very important. But the ultimate level of being in control of oneself is using it as a tool, but not feeling it internally in that out of control way. You know, there's also a great story about a great sage who whenever he would get angry, you know, I guess it is child, because one of the amazing things about Judaism, right, is that we say, you know, to be holy, to be kadosh in Judaism, we don't believe that the way to be holy and spiritual is to leave the world, is to go live on a mountain, is to become an ascetic, is to become a nun or a priest and remove yourself from life. Rather, if you wanted to be in the Sanhedrin, one of the requirements was that you were married and had children because they felt that without marriage and children, you would not develop that compassionate side of you, you know, with a lot of resistance working against you. And that's how you build your holiness is through interaction with other people. So, um, so this rabbi, every time he would feel angry, he had a, a coat, a special coat or a special jacket that was his angry jacket. And he would say to himself, okay, just a minute, right? He wants to give that kid a good punch, right? He wants to tell, start screaming at some kid or somebody who's destroyed him or annoyed him or whatever, provoked him. And he says, oh, wait a sec, I got to go change. You know, it's like the counting to 10 idea, right? Which doesn't ever seem to work. You kind of have to lock yourself in your own room and throw away the key if you want to be successful. But this was his way. You know, he would go upstairs, take off one jacket, put on another jacket. And the idea was, is that by the time he did all this ritual, he had calmed down to the point where now perhaps he could just display anger as opposed to feel completely out of control and therefore punish too severely or to the detriment as opposed to the benefit of the recipient. 
Okay, I hope everybody's with me. If you have any questions, you can put them on the chat or whatever after the class. I can stay on for a few seconds, minutes, and write down your questions if you like um, as we go through. So again, the idea is to use anger, but not to feel it. A frown, a stern or disappointed look is much more powerful when you stay in control of yourself. When we say, I'm going to teach you a lesson, we don't teach them much. <laughs> and we've lost ourselves in our emotions. And of course, what we've taught them is just that, you know, what you do when you're out of control, the way you try to control others is by scaring them, right? By what anger is, by destroying, as opposed to teaching that, you know, I can control myself even when I'm angry, teaching that very important lesson, right? Or saying, I'm really angry right now, you know, but I'm not going to. And saying that out loud, so you're teaching the person who's provoked you, you know, I feel really angry right now. I feel really hurt. I, whatever the trigger was, I need time. I'm going to walk away from this. I don't want to talk about it right now. Obviously, we're going to get into more of the practical tools, but this is more about the philosophy behind it, okay? Um, when we're calm, obviously, we can treat the person who provoked us with greater compassion. And one of the things that Dr. Pelkovitz says, which is an awareness that's very hard to have um, when you are angry, but it's an important one to have when you're not angry so that you can work on it then. Somebody's not muted. I don't know who it is. But if you can mute yourself. Sorry, I was in the washroom. Okay. Um, so some, uh, where was I? Somebody. Where was I? Anybody know? Okay, here goes. Oh. You said, you said, Devor, when we're calm, we can show more compassion to those provoking us. Right. We can show more compassion and um, we can demonstrate to them that, no, what I was, I thought I was saying that you should say that you are angry, um, you know, and you should model that or you can't. Oh, I know what I was saying. Dr. Pelkovitz, right? Nice quote. Hurt people hurt people. Okay, hurt people, hurt people. So if we can stay above it when we're not so angry, when we're more in control of ourselves and tell ourselves hurt people, hurt people, instead of saying, Stephen Covey says, instead of saying to somebody, why are you so angry? A better way of saying it is what's hurting you? What's hurting you? Okay, but you know, that takes, again, not getting pulled in not getting pulled in by the other person's emotions. And that takes practice. We want to do it when we're not uh, really provoked. Okay, so when we're calm, like we said, we can treat other people with greater compassion. Back to this idea of Homer and Sura, right? Who I am is God's gift to me. Who I become is my gift to God. Homer is our God-given traits. Some people were blessed with a tremendous amount of anger, right? They also tend to be very passionate people. 
And then there are others who are as unfeeling as a corpse or what the Rambam says, people who got very little, but you know, it could also spill over into the nature of their personality too, that nothing gets them too excited. So um, the point is, is they weren't chosen by you. They, it's not within your free will, the homer that you were given. People have different thresholds for anger. So don't compare yourself to others who are much calmer than you are. As in every Mida, we say, don't compare yourself to others and beat yourself up because of it. Because you had nothing to do with that extra dose of whatever it is, jealousy, impatience, anger, uh, sadness, and any other Mida that exists. Because it all, it has to do with much, much of it has to do with what Hashem has given you. And Adina Schoonmaker explains, you can even see it right away with babies, right? That one baby has a wet diaper and it's screaming its head off. And another kid has had a wet diaper for hours and is smiling and gurgling and very happy. You know, so even all the way to infancy, and they've done a lot of studies on different things like this. You can see that a person is wired from the moment they're born. We said some people are born with a smile on their face, you know, and other kids are miserable from the moment they come into the world. They're frowning, right? Saying, I can't believe I'm having a bris in eight days. This place is rotten. (laughs) (laughs) This is terrible. (laughs) Anyway. So don't be down on yourself for being the way you are. That's the first place to start. And that's a very important place for women to start. Because again, the reason I love this Musser through a woman's perspective, which the Musser written uh, in Judaism is written very much for men. And men are tougher. They don't beat themselves up generally. They're not always second guessing themselves. They're not always, you know, saying, why did I do that? Why didn't I do that? Women, because of our extra bina, as we said at the end of the Bitachon class, can sometimes be over-analytical, overly difficult with their own acceptance of self, whether it's their body image or it's their internal and emotional makeup. So we have to be very careful when we work on our character traits to not beat ourselves up because we will naturally become depressed and despairing if we would read the muster stuff that the men have to read. You know, even the way the Torah was given to men and women was different. If you go back to the Chumash, we're going to read it soon in Shemos. The Hebrew word used for when God gives the women the Torah, right? Tomar le Beit Yaakov, the Tagid le Bnei Yisrael. Two different words for telling over. Tomar, Amar, connotes a softer, gentler way of telling, of saying. And tagid, lehagid, to tell. Um, Rashi says the word gid is a sinew, which are tough, which aren't easily broken in the body. And that's the way the Torah, God gave the Torah to the men in a much tougher way. You better or else. (laughs) Because that's what they needed, how they needed to hear it. So 
you know, we can't deny the differences. The Torah teaches us there are differences in women's makeup. And one is, like I always like to say, a man can be 50 pounds overweight and look in the mirror and say, I look great. <laughs> and a woman can be two pounds overweight and go, oh my God, what am I going to do? I've got so much weight to lose. You know, it's just the way it is, ladies. Okay. How are we doing with time? Okay, great. So the antidote to our homer is something called sura. And sura is where our free will kicks in. It's the place of molding and working with what you have, taking that lump of clay that isn't always so easy to work with and making something beautiful out of it, making it better, making it more human-like, putting it into some kind of human form. And that requires your free will, your intellect, and of course, the desire, the zone to want to be that compassionate, calm person. If not in all situations, in more situations, because we just want to grow a little bit, right? Spiritual growth is not measured by goal reached, but by distance covered, as Bacha Galant, a teacher in Israel, expresses it. Okay, very important in self-development. So you could be born with a low frustration tolerance, but when you work on yourself, you can get better. Another point here is Hashem knows exactly how hard it is for you. And he gives you a lot of credit for working on it. He doesn't compare you to others. So that's why we need to compare ourselves with ourselves. I always like that analogy that I teach reading to kids um, you know, who are having reading difficulties. And one of the things I do is I time them. And, you know, I have a group of four boys and boys are very competitive. So I always have to remind them when I time them reading a story or something, you are not racing against his time. You have to beat your own time. So don't go, hi, I only got 33 seconds and you got 44. No, I don't care what he got. It's you now have to get 31. Okay. And he has to get 42. So it's a wonderful analogy for realizing, you know, or like in yoga, right? The yoga teacher always says, don't look at everybody else, right? That's not your body. Your body doesn't, you know, do that pretzel look, you know, she was born like, or whatever. The point is, is that's a big, you know, yoga practice. You have to be in tune with your body and what your body can do. So it's the same principles here. Okay. So what other responses can we have to replace intense anger? This is what we're going to be exploring in this vibe. Now in Mishle, Shlomo HaMelech, the wisest of all men, tells us anger rests in the embrace of a silly person. Right? Mishle is Proverbs in English. And here he's telling us something very important. And Rabbi Tversky uh, explains this. He says, you know, everybody experiences anger. But the difference between a Chacham, a wise person, and a fool, a kasil, is that the Chacham knows not to embrace it, right? Anger rests in the embrace of fools, is what Mishle is saying, meaning that not only does the person have the anger, but then he hangs on to it. He holds on to it. And again, this is the idea of... 
he, he's not able to shift from the primary response to the secondary response. From the primary trigger of anger where we don't have much control, if any, to that secondary response of, oh, wow, that was really bad. I don't want to be like that. How can I fix this? What can I do next time? What's my free will here in this case, right? And this primary and secondary response in other classes I've explained is another way of describing them is the idea of regesh, feeling, emotion, and sechel. So what the person does who has the primary response, which is, ah, ow, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did that. How dare you? How dare you do that to me? Right? The me is very large. So what the person who recognizes that that place of regesh, of emotion, of holding it, what we want to do is take it from the regesh and move it to the sechel. Okay, I was triggered. What's that all about? How did that happen? How can I protect myself next time? What have I learned about myself? I don't want to put myself in that situation again. Wow, I've been doing too much. I'm overloaded. You know, I needed to rest. I haven't eaten lunch today. I, I set myself up for this. Whoa. You know, I got up 10 minutes after the kids and now the whole day is going to be rotten. Right? I mean, I'm just going to have to get up 10 minutes earlier and then, whoa, what a difference. Okay. But the eights are is saying, you know, that's yeah, okay. They'll get breakfast themselves. You know, they'll get themselves off to school, whatever. Yeah, sure. Okay. Whatever it is, you know. Um, <clears throat> so that's the idea. Moving it from our regesh, that place of emotion, to the place of seichel. So what's in our control is the secondary act. So, you know, why is this anger in my personality in the first place? Now, this is a, a view, this is a, there's actually a book by Rabbi Zelig Pliskin called Anger, the Inner Teacher. And he basically says that if we understand anger and we understand what provokes us and when we get angry and why we get angry, we can learn about what does this say about me? What is this anger that I'm having right now teach me about myself? What does it teach me about my needs, my priorities, perhaps, about what's missing in my life? What does it teach me about what I need? What does it teach me about my childhood? Because often our anger is a trigger from childhood, right? Situations in our childhood that were unresolved. Um, anger is often the way we're trying to get something when I don't have a better way to get it. So how do we get it? We get it by forcing those around us, letting people know, you know, I'm going to get this. You can't do this to me. Um, and we don't achieve much with this anger. And that's why it's important to say what triggered me and why. This is the question we need to ask ourselves in order to gain greater self-awareness. Is there a softer and more compassionate way to get what I need? 
my anger might be telling me, you know, I have a need for space. When there's a lot of people around, I don't, it gets me nervous. I want to yell, right? I have a need for respect. When I'm spoken to in a disrespectful way, whoa, that really, I have a need for validation, for being heard, for my feelings being acknowledged. I have a need for time, you know, my day is too packed. I set myself up for failure. You know, I have a need for self-care that I don't allow myself to have. You know, that's a waste of time. That's indulgent. I have a need for friendships, whatever it is, whatever is missing. So what's behind the anger? What can it teach me? When you think about anger, what tools can we use to move from the primary to secondary response? Okay, I'd love to finish this. It's almost finished. Okay, let's do, no, it isn't, forget it. Okay, all right, so a few more seconds. So anger is a very self-oriented emotion. How I feel, this is not fair. How could it happen to me? It's all about me. How could you do this to me? And what we want to try and do is remove ourselves from the picture and replace it with two other perspectives. Okay, so we're bringing in an idea here from the Maharal, a great rabbi, the Maharal. So he says there are people who are, lead, who are leaders who lead by making people scared through their anger. And he says such a person not only separates himself from the community by being like this, but he's also separating himself from Hashem. Anger and separating yourself from Hashem goes together. Anger separates you from other people, and it also separates you from Hashem. So anger is all about how much you focus on yourself as opposed to how much you focus on others and on Hashem. So the voice of focus on oneself is, I can't believe it. I did so much for her. You know what? I want to go to bed now. I don't deserve this. I am tired. I'm upset because this is not how I should be treated. So the idea of anger is I wanted something different. So the I and the me is the focus. I wanted it to go this way. And it went that way. This is not fair. So wait a second. What we need to do when we're in this mode, if we can, or with our secondary response, is say, what is the other person's response here? Or what is Hashem thinking? And this helps us to soften an angry response so we can have a better secondary response. What we do here, and this is one of the tools in the Hakpada class too, is instead of saying, why is he doing this to me? Why is she doing that to me? What we want to do is capitalize the he and say, why is he, meaning God, Hashem, No one can harm me or benefit me unless Hashem allows it, right? That's what we learned in Bitachon. 
People are just messengers. Why is Hashem, why is he doing this to me? Why is Hashem who loves me placing me in this situation with this person? Oh, what's going on here? Taking a step back. And by doing this, anger dissipates more quickly because we're able to find that space that says, there is a Hashem who loves me and who navigated these circumstances for my good. So we ask ourselves, what does Hashem want from me? And what happens is we try to take that negative emotion of anger and turn it into something more speculative, more philosophical, and more corrective, self-corrective, right? What did I need to learn from this? What do I need to learn about myself? Forget about the other person. I can't control other people. And anyway, Hashem, you sent this person. You sent them to take their finger and poke me exactly in the spot that's already bleeding. That's already so sensitive and has been that way since the beginning of my life for whatever reason. And you brought them into my circle one and they poked me there over and over again. What is it? What can I learn about myself? What needs healing? So anger is an inner teacher. Okay, I see we're over time. We'll just finish this idea, okay? So I planned this whole day and now you mess things up. So anger is based on there is no reason why this happened. This just ruins everything. But this is when we have to remember Hashem Hu HaMelech. And it's so much harder when it's not, you know, the, the, the store that closed when we wanted to get there or, you know, started raining on my shaitel after I just got it done and spent 50 bucks a pop you know, or whatever you spend, you know, it's not, it's about other people who should know better, who are grown up, right? Who should understand these things. You know, sometimes I say, okay, I just have to decide that everybody has special needs. You know, we're all special needs. We all have developmental handicaps and blind spots. It doesn't matter how old you are, right? We do, and so do other people. But the point is this, you know, if we remember Hashem Hu Amelech with the small things, right? With the kid who spilled the milk on the floor just before, you know, my guests were coming and I finished cleaning up the kitchen for the 10th time. Then, and we try to remember to use it with the small things, then maybe it will help us with the bigger things through practice. Okay. It all becomes purposeful and meaningful. And even though it's still frustrating and it still triggers me, I can hopefully deal with negative emotions much better. So imagine someone's running after you with a needle, with the vaccine for the pandemic, right? You get the vaccine, you get to get it first. And they're running after you, a doctor or a nurse, and you're not sure you want it, right? Um, so the shot's going to hurt, 
But when you understand that the pain is meant for you, that there's a specific dosage and duration of pain, then you understand that there's benefits. So when we say, why did I have to go through this? What did I need to learn from this? Why is he doing this to me? And take it up to that place. Why are these people in my circle one? What is it that I have to learn about myself through them? This secondary response can calm me down. Last idea. This part is part of bitachon. It's part of what we've been studying for the last eight months or seven months together. Because when it comes to things that are clearly in Hashem's hands, like natural disasters, right? We accept it. But it's much harder to accept when it's a person causing my pain. Okay, just think about that and meditate on that, right? When it's something that we can't control, an earthquake, you know, something that's beyond our control, a natural disaster, we say, nothing I can do about it, Hashem Hu HaMelech. But when it has to do with other people, all of a sudden it's, what is going on here? But really, we should be looking at it the same way we look at it at a natural disaster. It's my own personal natural disaster. This person could have a sign on them that says, natural disaster, watch out, <laughs> keep away, or be ready, because natural disaster is coming through the door right now. Hashem <clears> Huamelech. <throat> The floor is starting to shake, right? The walls are starting to cave in. There's an earthquake that's beginning. Let's get myself ready. Don't be surprised by this because natural disaster is coming my way. What am I going to do with it? How am I going to respond? How can I get from that primary response of, oh, no, I'm going to lose it to recognizing that we have the power and compassion and love to be able to access a much deeper place than anger and respond in a way that doesn't make us ego dystonic, but makes us feel very happy and good about ourselves. That we, that we acted in a way that Hashem acts, so to speak, in his highest self which is allowing compassion to overrule din. Okay, I think we've really summed up a lot of the points. Your homework is to watch and see what makes you angry, what triggers you. Write it down. Why was I just triggered? What happened? What situation just got me going? And even if you don't respond appropriately, begin to learn what those triggers are. Okay, and we'll continue, God willing, next week. Mirza Hashem. And uh, anybody who wants to be in touch with me, you can access my email, deboravail at yahoo.ca if you have any questions, if you have any situations, if you want some coaching help. Coaching is not therapy. Coaching is just 
dealing with what is happening right now and trying to get unstuck and move forward. So um, anything like that, I am available. All right, everybody, thanks so much. And Can you repeat your email address? Sorry, Devora, D-E-V-O-R-A-H-V-A-L-E at yahoo.ca.